1: Did you know that was not the first time someone was caught acting erratically on elevator surveillance cameras before they mysteriously disappeared? We'll take a look at a case like that, and then we'll travel all the way out to Kentucky. Is it possible that those that have died before us can continue to haunt this world, and there are also huge fans of Billy Ray Cyrus? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's get started. First off, running into Dead Rabbit Radio command. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for... Gracie. Woohoo! Yeah! we, Ha ha Yeah! You keep on jumping up and down, Gracie. Gracie, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Gracie recently gave me a tip on YouTube. That's something you can do where you can donate money via YouTube. Really, really appreciate it. That's another way you can help the show out. We have the Patreon. We have a YouTube memberships, merch store, all of that. But there's also tipping, and you can do that as well. But listen, if you don't tip, that's fine, too. If you can't provide to the show monetarily, it's totally understandable. It is just helps spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so, so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone, you know, Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. OK, Gracie, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We haven't used this in a while. Toss you the keys of the Jason Jet. Everyone climb on board. Gracie's going to fly us out from Dead Rabbit Radio Command all the way to Taiwan. Nice fast flight all the way out to the island nation of Taiwan. I do want to give a shout out to Joy Ickle. Joy Ickle, I never heard this story. Joy Ickle did a great write-up on this. So hats off to you. Never heard of this before. Very, very good story. Great research. So thank you. And they posted their, you know, I'm a big fan of this. They posted links. They posted attributions. They posted where they got all the information from. More researchers need to do that. Sustained disgust built the best iceberg by including the links. Joyical including the links. Too many people are researching this paranormal stuff. Not including the links. And it it just makes it harder for anyone to do any follow-up research. That's why I'm big on the show notes. So thank you for everyone who's doing that. January 20th, 2008. We're in Taiwan. Specifically, we're in the town of Hao, Taiwan. Zhanghao, Taiwan. We're standing outside the Lin Financial Building. And it's late at night. It's January. It was probably a little cold out there. Winter in Taiwan, stand out there with our big parkas on, and we see a mother and her child walking towards the financial building, which is weird, right, because it's closed, it's a financial building, it's not an apartment complex, it's not a playground or anything like that, there might be a McDonald's inside, but there's probably also a McDonald's outside, why is, the, well, there might not be a McDonald's, it has nothing to do with the story, but you know what I mean, like why would they be trying to go into this building, but that's what this woman, her name is Mrs. Lou, that's all the names that we have. Mrs. Lou, she's 37 years old, a mother of four. But right now, she only has one of her kids, a four-year-old daughter we'll call Becky. So Mrs. Lou and Becky are outside of this building. And the building manager there, who we will name Bobby, is like, Hey, guys, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> McDonald's is down the road. You can't come into this building. And Mrs. Luce says, well, I'm here to see a friend. We got to see a friend. Don't worry. It'll just be a minute. I'm going to go in. I'm going to talk to my friend. And they somehow get past the building manager. Now, I say somehow. He might have just been body blocking the door. He might not have even been doing that. He could have just been standing there wagging his finger. And they're like, we're going in anyways. Like I don't know if he was super concerned that they were entering a closed business building during the night. Or he could have just also not really cared. At the same time, he figured, what's this woman and this kid going to do in a high-rise building in the middle of Taiwan in the middle of the night? Not middle of the night, but late at night. He does start to have his suspicions, though, later on, because they get past him, and Mrs. Liu gets her and her daughter into this elevator, and she hits the button, the door's closed, and Bobby's like, oh, okay, he probably could have done more to stop that. but." surely they are just here to see a friend. Maybe a guy has, like, an office up here or something like that. Surely they are not going to do what I suspect they're going to do. What a lot of people would do late at night. Maybe not a lot of people, but, I mean, he's thinking, I hope they don't jump off the building. That thought is going through his head. The next morning... Bobby realizes he never saw the woman and the kid again. He goes, I didn't see him leave. I saw him enter the building, but I never saw. Damn it, Did they kill themselves. <sighs> so anyways, he goes, well, I know they got in the elevator. I'll go watch the elevator surveillance footage. See if I can figure something out. So he goes. <laughs> He's working at his computer playing his recorder at the same time, multitasking. He is watching video footage of Mrs. Lou and little Becky in the elevator. And he sees Mrs. Lou and Becky were both wearing red coats. And what Bobby sees on the surveillance camera footage is them taking off their red coats. And then taking off their shoes. And Bobby's like, oh, like his heart's breaking at this point. Maybe I should have done something more to sway them because in Taiwan, apparently, this might be a worldwide thing, but apparently people who are planning to jump off of buildings to commit suicide by leaping off of buildings, they take their shoes off because apparently, I was unaware of this, People have been seriously injured and possibly even killed by a falling shoe. A shoe falling off of a 30 story building. Might hit somebody in the head. Now, I might argue, that might be true. I did read that in one of these news articles about this case. That might be true. My argument would be possible. Right? It's possible that a loafer, it's possible that an UGG boot. Falling from 30 stories, hitting me on the face might break my nose. It also is probably more likely that a 130-pound woman falling 30 feet might kill me. It's a weird distinction to make. I don't want my shoes to go flying and hit somebody and hurt them. But I'm going to jump and hopefully somebody looks up and doesn't get pancaked by me. There's also talk in some of these articles about in Taiwanese culture or East Asian or in Asian culture in general, people will take their shoes off before suicide as to not track in dirt from our world into the afterlife. It's possible too. But Bobby's just like, I figured that's what was going on. I should have listened to my gut. He calls the police, shows the police the video footage, and it's not just them taking off their jackets either and... Taking off their shoes. Mrs. Lou also looks really kind of scared. Disoriented, almost. Uh, fearful, nervous. And the police are like, dude, you probably should have stopped. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, she they probably jumped. I Yeah, that's what I'm figuring, too. That's why I called the cops. So the cops search all around the building. Can't find any trace. Luckily, right? Cannot find any trace of Mrs. Lou or Becky. They even go up and check the water tower to see if maybe they had jumped in there to drown themselves. They're not in there. That's a big parallel with the Elisa Lamb case. I think that was 2013 in LA, where Elisa Lamb's a young Asian woman acting very bizarre on an elevator. That's all on video. She leaves the elevator, she disappears, no one can find her, and there's at a at like a hotel, like a long-term hotel type of place. It's a very infamous hotel. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Um The Cecil Hotel. The Cecil Hotel. So people didn't know what had happened to her until the residents of the hotel, their water started to taste very foul. It was disgusting. And they're okay, well, let's go check the water tower, and they pop it open, and there's Eliza Lamb. Rotting. She'd been floating in there for, like, I think two weeks or something like that, and people had been drinking her. A lot of people have said that that is a supernatural story. There's no way she could have gotten into the water tank. I don't think it was supernatural. I think there was some weird stuff. The weirdest part is the missing footage from the elevator camera. There's some frames missing. But it is possible to climb up. If you look at the roof, There, it is possible to climb up there by yourself. And jump in. I would say that she might have committed suicide. She might have been murdered. I don't really, I don't necessarily think it has a supernatural origin. But who knows, right? I'm not going to say it absolutely doesn't. I might have said that in that past episode. I don't remember, but I think it's more likely a rational thing. This story precedes that. This story is taking place quite a few years before Elisa Lam. The police come out. They can't find her, they can't find Mrs. Liu, they can't find the daughter. They are fearing the worst, but they don't find any bodies. They then open a missing persons case, because they cannot find these people. And this case does start to pick up a little bit of steam, and eventually the police get a phone call. Bring, bring, bring.
0: Taiwanese Police Department. Yeah, hey, uh, my name is Mr. Liu. I've seen that you're looking for my wife and my daughter. And so Mr. Luce says, we got four kids together.
1: We've been separated for a year, but I'm paying child support. So I'm like, still part of the kid's life. I don't know if they lived together, but they were separated and he was paying child support. So I don't think so, but every country is different. He said, listen, my oldest daughter told me that mom was taking little Becky out to see a relative for a few days. She's never come back home. We don't know where she's at. We don't know where our daughter's at.
0: I mean, if there's anything I can do to help, that'd be great. But this is where we're at right now.
1: And honestly, before Mr. Liu called, I don't even know if the police had her name. It was just a woman and her kid. The only interaction was with the building manager. And then she gets in. Never seen again. This is a super interesting story that is very, very popular in Vietnam. It's covered in quite a few like Vietnamese websites, news websites. And they have what are reported to be screenshots from the surveillance camera in the elevator. So just like the Eliza Lamb story. And I'm assuming those are the websites that I was looking at. A lot of the websites that Joy Ickle had posted to. I, I went and did some extra research on the side. But you'll see these screenshots. A screenshot of a woman holding a young girl. Both looking terrified. And then the second shot is just two red jackets and two pairs of shoes in the elevator. It's not like they mysteriously vanished. They did leave. <laughs> There's video footage of them walking out of the elevator. But they're never seen again. They're a very popular story in Vietnam. So the question comes, is there any truth to this? Sometimes, I mean, to be honest, the screenshots look fake. The screenshots look like from a reenactment or something like that. It just looks so close up and exaggerated. But who knows? Is there any truth to this story? This is really interesting. A long time ago, we did a story called The Paris Time Gap. It was a conspiracy theory about one day. I'll put this episode in the show notes. It's one of my favorite stories we've covered on the podcast because it's so weird and so obscure. It's a story about at one point in time, the entire city of Paris experienced a time loss. And if I remember correctly, it's been years since I've looked into it and did that episode, but... If you were asleep, you just lost time. And I think it. if you were awake, you threw up and lost time. It was some weird sort of shift. Super obscure paranormal story. It's mostly popular in Eastern Europe. Not. It's not very popular in France. It's definitely not popular in America. But it's really popular... In Russia and other countries in Eastern Europe. Because after I covered it on the show, I got a lot of emails and YouTube comments from people who live in Eastern Europe. And they're like, oh, dude, I remember that story. I heard about that story a long time ago. And there were so many comments like that. It's Conspiracy theory, or not a conspiracy theory, but like a paranormal event in France that's very popular in Eastern Europe. And not really heard of at all outside of there. Fascinating. So there is precedent for that type of thing. Even though it takes place in Taiwan, it's very popular in Vietnamese media. Is it true? I started looking into this, and some of the things that I had trouble with was verifying is I could not find a place called the Wan Lin Financial Building. Sure, you know, there's going to be translation issues. We're taking a story that is originally, all the people in it are from Taiwan. They speak Mandarin Taiwanese, I think is the official designation. And then it's being translated into Vietnamese. And then it's being translated into English for us using Google Translate. So I'm thinking, okay, I can't find that exact building. I really tried finding the Wan Lin Financial Building. I couldn't find it. I also thought it was weird that it was a business. She was trying to get into a business and not, say, an apartment complex where she might be meeting a friend late at night. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. In Vietnamese culture, wearing red can attract spirits to you. So in these articles, they're saying, well, that's why they took off the red sweaters. So the spirits, maybe they were being chased by bad spirits because they were never seen again. Remember, it's a Taiwanese story. So we're getting this also this cultural contamination going on. What's interesting is as I kept looking, the story takes place in Taiwan. I did find a Taiwanese website called ET.
0: Today, and they did cover the story, and that's where they got the photos from. At one point, ET Today did cover the story,
1: and that's where the photos, those two images came from. So it was covered in Taiwan at some point, but it's mostly popularized. Now when you look for it in Taiwan, it just was taking me to the ET Today's front page. So we have this story. Is there any truth to it? Is is it just the story of a mother and a daughter disappearing? Which, don't get me wrong, is terrifying and interesting in and of itself. But is it possible that it's even more terrifying and more interesting in this story being true?
0: 2008 is when the story took place. Vietnamese... Articles keep saying that the mother and child have been missing for twelve
1: years. Have been missing for twelve years. So these articles are being published back in twenty twenty. Something else happened
0: in twenty twenty. <laughs> so nuts. We're in Taiwan. I was as I was looking for this story.
1: Let's go two hours away from Zhanghao, There's the city of Kaohsiung. In December 2020, I am not for sure how authorities were alerted to this, but in December 2020, police officers come in contact with a young woman named Mrs. Say, a 23-year-old
0: woman who weighed 77 pounds. She and her mother, a Mrs. Lin, had gone missing 12 years ago in the city of Changhou. She said that she had been
1: kidnapped by her mother 12 years ago from that city. She was 11 years old at the time, so we're seeing some of the details don't match up completely, right? This is what's so crazy about this. She was 11 years old at the time. She was kidnapped by her mother in 2008 from the city of Changhao. She was not allowed to go to school. She was not allowed to leave their apartment alone. They got this apartment in this other city. For 12 years, she was under the constant watchful eye of her mother. And she was also completely malnourished. That's why she was only 77 pounds. What had happened was back in 2008, a court had decided that the father would get custody of all four kids. They Some of these details match up perfectly. And Mrs. Lynn goes, nope. And she took her 11-year-old daughter two hours away, and no one ever knew what happened to them. She was put under house arrest and at the time of this article in 2020. She was put under house arrest. And they took Miss Say, who in our story was Becky, Miss Say, a.k.a. Becky, they took her back to her father, who was Mr. Say. And he was so happy to see her. He was like, oh, my God, like, I didn't know what happened to you for the past 12 years. I feared the worst. And his daughter, his now 23-year-old daughter, just was like, I want to be with mom. I want to be with mom. I don't want to be here. I want to be with mom. I want to be with mom. And he let her go back. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's probably dangerous, right? She is under house arrest, so you assume that she can't abuse her anymore. But this young girl was so mind broken. Stockholm syndrome to the hilt. That even when she was rescued and brought back to her rightful home, she didn't want to be there. She wanted to be with her mom. That's all she knew. That's where the article stops. I mean, I'm assuming the mom went to jail for kidnapping. She was being charged with restricted residence, which is more of like a prison situation. It was just not just kidnapping, kept her in prison. Crazy story. This is what I'm putting together. The girl in the photos, the screenshots does not look 11 years old. This is what I think happened. The story is based on truth. Names have gotten mixed up over the years. We did that last week with a ghost story where the names were completely lost until one dude on the internet found them. It was fantastic. The names were changed, but the beginning is probably true. She probably did take her 11-year-old daughter to a building and then bounced. I bet you anything that part of the story is true. I'm guessing that the screenshots that we are given are some sort of reenactment because the girl doesn't look 11. She looks much younger. But what happens is you have this real part of the story. A mother and a daughter disappeared that exact same year as this mysterious story took place. And some of those elements would overlap. It would be an amazing coincidence if these two aren't related. They may have went into a building and got, you know, like just... Disappeared. Maybe went to some dude's house and he helped move him out the next day. It could be anything like that. I don't think it was a financial building. Which sucks because, I don't know if this part's true, but according to the Vietnamese news sites, they go, no one wants to rent office space in that building anymore. They think it's haunted. They think it's cursed. So if this is a real financial building and no one, no one mysteriously disappeared, it sucks for them. And so it also lines up. Remember... They were found in 2020. And when did the stories start to pop up in the Vietnamese websites? 2020. So I think there was a renewed interest. Something popped off. I don't think anything was deliberate here. I don't think anyone was trying to mislead people. I wouldn't classify this as like a hoax or a lie or anything like that. I think wires were getting crossed. I'm sure for a long time there was the story going around about the mother and the daughter who mysteriously disappeared in an office building. I believe that those rumors were going around, and technical or, or a building, apartment, or whatever. And they never found them again. I'm sure the father called up the police and said where. I, I bet you all of those details are right. The names were different, and it wasn't a. It was a mystery, but it wasn't a supernatural mystery. But over time, everything kind of morphed into something else. And so now we have this supernatural mystery in Vietnam, and then we have this true crime tragedy in Taiwan but you see how those vines kind of kind of got mixed up and when they were really found that renewed interest in the story and then that's how the urban legend came back up because I'm thinking there was an urban legend and that's why they made a reenactment program in the first place but I don't know I thought it was super fascinating story I, I mean again if we didn't have that second part Which I didn't. That wasn't anything that I had found written up before. The second part, I found that. So just the original narrative is compelling enough. It's a creepy story about elevators, and I know you Zoomers are all about liminal spaces, long hallways. You know, a little bit of that. Getting lost in an office building, the back rooms. But then finding that other part where... Because I wanted to see if any of it was true, and then finding out, unfortunately, it is. It's... And this young girl spent 12 years of her life being tortured by her mother. Psychologically tortured, physically tortured. And then in the end, she still wanted to be with her mom. I'm hoping, obviously, the mother's in prison at this point. The daughter's in some sort of rehabilitation thing. The father, you know, he's probably thinking if she wants to go back, like, I don't I don't think the mother's dangerous. I mean, there's gonna hopefully be police nearby, right? They're not gonna disappear again. Crazy story. It's even crazier when we find the backstory to it is true. And it's far sadder. And that is why we're gonna do something different today. Gracie, I'm gonna go ahead and toss you the keys of the world famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Taiwan. Fly us all the way out to Kentucky. I hope you brought your dancing shoes. Your cowboy boots, actually. If you got dancing shoes, throw those out the helicopter. Hit people in the face with them and laugh. I got you a brand new pair of cowboy boots. The most uncomfortable footwear possible. Wedge your toes into that little spike. You're <laughs> chasing people's toes. Don't go all the way to the pointy part, you moron. I don't know. I've never put on a cowboy. I Actually, I did wear a pair of cowboy boots once. So my eighth grade, dance. Because I didn't have dress shoes. And my grandpa was visiting... I should post that photo, dude. I'll see if I can find that photo. I would talk about Riz. That was me back then. Even with the cowboy boots. I'll see if I can find that photo. But anyways, hope you got cowboy boots on. We got the button-up shirt and the cowboy hat. We're walking down the street. Howdy, ma'am. And she's like, oh, my stars and garters. We're like, yep, we're real cowboy people. (laughs) Normally people don't have to say that if you're a real cowboy person. You don't have to say that. Although, if you think about it, like gangsters go, I'm an original gangster. So, I mean, they they announce it. Can't we go, we're real cowboy people. We're walking down the street. We're headed to the Paramount Art Center. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds super boring. And you're right. Art Center means, like, you're going to look at a picture of, like, a bunch of, like, paint on something and people go, wow, that's amazing. And then they look at the price. And then they go, what? For that? That much? For that piece of junk? And then you go to the next painting. It's not even a painting. It's just like a bowl. Someone made a ceramic bowl. And you're like, wow, I can really see the art and the soul that went into this. And then you go, $400, $400 for this? You know how many bowls I can get at Walmart? This is ridiculous. <laughs> that is me at any art gallery. I'm the worst person to take. $4,000 for this painting of a duck on a pond? That's ridiculous. I can get a real duck. I can honestly go out and get a real duck for less than $4,000. I can also get a pond, I'm sure, right? I'll just get some dirt, throw it around in my place, fill it full of water, put a duck in there. It's all sad. It's like, what? This is where you expect me to be? No, I'm going to take a photo of you. Sell it for 10000 bucks, and I'll buy you a real pond. Somewhere else. We're at the art center. I know I don't want to be here either. We're in the Paramount Art Center in Ashland, Kentucky. But here's the thing. Before, it was this totally lame thing for people to walk around and go, what? That much for a Peruvian rain stick? Dude, I can, like, go to Peru and make my own rain stick. That's more, more than a plane ticket down there. It's ridiculous. It used to be a movie theater. Who doesn't like movies? Real movies, too. Not like art house movies. Real movies. Built back in 1931. It was a movie theater. This is the Paramount Theater. It's built in 1931. In the 1940s, they go, you know what? Let's spruce this thing up. Everyone's going through this thing called the Great Depression. Let's give them something nice to look at. Let's make this look great. So you have these renovations going on, and you have this group of construction workers. There was about four of them. They came out from Cincinnati, Ohio, to work on the renovations of the Paramount Theater. And one of the workers, a man named Joe, loved this theater. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm slapping plaster on the walls and oh look at how that plaster dries. This is the best place ever. And then he's like attaching a curtain or something like that. He's like, ah, red velvet, the greatest fabric ever made. But you know what's even greater? That it's in this theater. (laughs) They were like, shut up, Joe. Just do your job. He's like, oh, this bucket of paint would look like just a regular bucket in any other room. But in the Paramount Theater, it shines. It glistens. In fact, I never want to leave this theater. Joe proclaimed he wanted to stay in the Paramount Theater forever. Imagine someone said that where you work. I want to be here forever. Would you think, I just realized, I just realized I originally chose this story because I wanted to do a fun story because we've covered so many suicides and dark stories in the past two weeks. Monkey torture, people eating scabs and thinking they're frosted flakes, just gross stuff. I go, you know what, I'm going to do a story that's fun. I'm going to do a story that doesn't have malnourished children. I'm going to do a story that doesn't involve girlfriends being swallowed whole by mysterious moon men and you know what i'm gonna do a story that's not only uplifting but has zero suicides in it i just looked a little bit further down my notes what do you think happened well you could arguably say it was an accident joe proclaims i want to stay in the paramount theater forever i never want to leave if someone said that at my workplace, you know, I'd be like, oh, my God, check the, check the pipes for lead. That person's off their rocker. I wouldn't think that person's going to kill themselves this lunchtime. And I don't know if that's exactly what happened. I don't know if it happened. <laughs> I don't know if he's standing on the stage and he's like, I will stay here forever. Um, Hey, everyone else, go to lunch. I'm going to not do anything drastic while you're gone. Or if he made that proclamation and he waited a couple weeks. But anyways, at one point, the 3 coworkers left to go to lunch and Joe stayed behind. When they came back, he was hanging from the curtain rigging. So he could have killed himself. Or it could have been an accident. Or it could have been, actually I didn't think about this. What if it was uh, murder? What if he got killed? By someone else. But whatever the case, it's probably suicide. It's probably suicide, okay? I'm sorry. I tried. I really, really tried. Whatever the case is, he's dead. He's hanging from the curtain rigging. Ever since that day, reportedly, the Paramount Art Center has been haunted. You have very basic types of activity. Cold spots. Things go missing. Sometimes you'll catch the glimpse of a man walking around in old-timey work clothing. It's a pretty basic haunting. Uh, They call this ghost Paramount Joe. Paramount Joe. Joe may or may not be his real name. We've run into that before with ghosts. Uh, We ran into that with the last story. Two names getting wrong. But it's just a basic haunting. A good ghost who helps people out. And that's a fun thing. We don't cover those a lot on this show. And I did want to do something that was not so dark. But we also gotta realize that Paramount Joe does have a nasty streak if he doesn't get his way. If you step in between him and America's heartthrob, Billy Ray Cyrus. Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. I just don't think you'd understand. And if you tell my heart, you're like oh no is he gonna do the whole song is he gonna bust into like the second verse i went to the store to buy myself some eggs they all broke my heart I i don't know i could probably do three minutes of just improv anyways billy ray cyrus father of famous fan of the show miley cyrus best personal friend of yours truly, Miley Ray Cyrus. I never met Billy Ray, though, so, you know. Because we're not that good friends, Miley. Billy Ray Cyrus. Heartthrob, country superstar, Billy Ray Cyrus. Coming out to the Paramount Theater to shoot the music video for what would be the biggest hit song since the invention of singing. <laughs> since the invention of vocal cords. Aggy Breaky Heart. He was going to shoot his music video at Paramount Theater. So he goes to the Paramount Theater and he's like, howdy, everybody. My name is Billy Ray Cyrus. You can call me Mr. Cyrus because I'm a big shot. No, he seems like a nice guy. But anyway, so Billy Ray Cyrus comes out and he's going to do his show. He's going to do his music video. And it is basically a show. It's just a sea full of hot 1990s women in seats and he's singing a song achy breaky heart and the women are going wild and they're getting everything set up and while he's there he's like tell me a little bit about the place that i'll be uh you know performing this miracle of music in." and they go well, mr cyrus uh do you like ghost stories and he's like oh well, who doesn't of course i love a good ghost story and they tell him about paramount joe they're like <laughs> and they're like and then he hung himself and he's like what now i really am an achy breaky heart oh poor guy They're telling the story about Paramount Joe. And they're like, yeah, you know, like cold spots. And sometimes you'll see a man walking around in this old-timey uniform. You know, stuff like that. Basic haunting stuff. It almost isn't even worth mentioning, honestly. I mean, it's better than nothing. If someone asks for a ghost story, it's better than nothing. But Billy Ray falls in love with this story. What? In old-timey clothes? Well, tie my garter and call me a gator. I can't believe that. Old-timey clothes. What else does he do? Cold spots? What? I'm shocked, I've never heard such a thing. He's never heard a ghost story before. He's like, oh, What's a ghost? Souls of the dead and life exist after our mortal bodies destroyed. What? It's like the lamest ghost story. But, anyways, Billy Ray Cyrus thinks it's amazing. So, while they're shooting the music video, Achy Breaky Heart, you know, he'd be like dancing around, playing his guitar, doing his little boot scooting dance. And the director's like, Okay, cut, we got to adjust these stuff. We got to move this. You. Three blondes move over there. Two brunettes. You guys go to the back. Billy Ray Cyrus would talk to Paramount Joe. He'd be like, hey, uh, did you like that riff there? Yeah, my guitarist over there taught me that one. It's pretty good. Paramount, I bet you'd be good with the guitar, right? Get your little ghost hands behind it. Okay, uh, Billy Ray, we're ready to uh, start rolling again. Okay, okay, let's go. Don't tell my heart, my AK Ray. They start doing music video again. Cut, cut, cut. Okay, so we're going to try this then. And in between breaks, he would have long conversations. He would just talk to Paramount Joe. Which one? I mean, you're like, dude, I would start to think, oh, man, what is going on with this guy? I love ghosts and all, but he's like, Billy Ray's making mistakes on purpose. He's getting the lines mixed up. The director's like, cut, 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 what was that song? And he's like, oh, sorry, I wasn't thinking. So anyways, Paramount Joe, and he starts a side conversation with this ghost. He's like, sorry, we got interrupted by my music video. In between breaks, he would have these conversations, and he'd be, like, cracking jokes. He'd be laughing as if he was talking to a real person. And sometimes he'd be like, hey, Paramount, I was wondering, can I call you Paramount, or should I call you Mr. Joe? I'm <laughs> just kidding, man. Um, you think that I'm holding the guitar okay? Do you think this looks cool for the ladies? I don't know. He would, like, ask this ghost for advice. He's having a ball. He's having a ball interacting with this ghost. They finished shooting the music video. Now, here's the thing. I actually did look into it a little bit more. Paramount Art Theater is not one of those lame galleries with all the paintings and stuff like that. It's better. Because what they do is they actually have this tradition that if you perform at the Paramount Theater, which is what it was at that time, it's quote-unquote required. They they really ask for it. It's a great... It's not like they're going to stop you at the doors. Bobby, the building manager, got a new job and he's learned his lesson. He's not going to stop you at the doors, make you do this, but... You have an 8x10 headshot of the celebrity, and you sign it, and they put it on the wall. And this theater has been a concert venue for quite a few years at this point. There's all of these headshots, putting them up on the wall. And Billy Ray Cyrus, heartthrob, country heartthrob, all the women are like, Oh, Billy Ray, I'm Billy Ray, can I get one for my office? And he's like, Yeah, sure. Love Billy Ray, and they're like, "Ooh!" And then the next woman comes up, "Oh, Billy Ray, Billy Ray, I need one for my office too." Here you go. And he's making all of these signed Billy Ray Cyrus headshots for all the women who work at the Paramount Theater. And then he goes, "You know what? I got to give one of my old friend. I can't leave. Can't leave without this." He writes on the eight by ten. Headshot, Paramount Joe, forever in my heart and in my soul, Billy Ray. He goes, this one's for Paramount Joe, you can go ahead and just hang it up on the wall, because i got to give
0: props to my boy, PJ. Now what's really interesting is all of that stuff
1: we can verify. There are photographs of that headshot. That Billy Ray signed with that signature. With that little message. And we can verify the video was shot. Like this is just to let you guys know the type of research I do on this show. When they said Billy Ray Cyrus shot his video here. And I found that on some ghost website. I think I originally found this on the Shadowlands. I then have to find out when and where the Billy Ray Cyrus Aggie Breaky Heart video was shot. And it seems like it takes a lot of time. But when I get to see an actual photograph of this headshot hanging up on the wall, it does really make it all worth it. Because it adds so much legitimacy to the story. Billy Ray Cyrus was there. He does believe in Paramount Joe. He signed a picture for him. It's on the wall. This is where we get to the story of Paramount Joe's dark side. Let's fast forward. We're going to fast forward quite a few years. More and more people are performing at the Paramount Art Center. More and more people are getting their headshots signed. Thanks for the memories, Jay Leno. He's going to be playing there later this year. Or I'm so happy I was able to spend the night here. Signed by Howie Mandel. Tesla's going to be playing there this year. Rick Ross. They do have like a, a big variety of people coming out. They also have Matt Frazier, America's top... Medium and psychic. I haven't heard of the guy. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, That might be worth checking out if you're in the area. Because, you know, that's paranormal. That'd be cool. Alien ant farm. They're aliens. That's paranormal. But anyways. You have all of these headshots signed. There's too many. They're all over the place. They don't have places to put them. And there's a surprisingly large amount of headshots for... Billy Ray Cyrus, because every woman got one. So there's Billy Ray Cyrus ones everywhere. The executive director at the time goes, guys, we're going to have to, like, figure out something to do with all these headshots. We have more acts coming in. We're a booming theater. We have a lot of people coming in. We need to take down some of these headshots. Take down these, take down those, take down those. Oh, and also, guys, can we just get rid of all these Billy Ray headshots? They're everywhere. You go into the bathroom, one's on the mirror, you're like, oh, come on. They're everywhere. You have too many Billy Ray headshots. And none of the women would give theirs up. They're like, no, I'm keeping my Billy Ray headshot. They all stood up for theirs, and they go, I'm keeping my Billy Ray headshot. Signed personally to me. Even though it says the exact same thing that he said to every other woman. It doesn't matter. So, when they were going through, they were taking down a lot of them, but when they got to the Paramount Joe headshot signed by Billy Ray Cyrus, they were like, at least we can take that one down. (laughs) Fine, there's 17 more, but at least there's one less. We'll take that one down. They took
0: down some other ones. They're just trying to clean house. The next day, when the employees showed up in the morning,
1: the box office, the box office area that had all of these headshots framed up behind the ticket sellers, the ticket takers, right? You have this box office area. That's where you had a lot of these eight by tens. And that's where you had the one by Paramount Joe. It was right up front from Billy Ray Cyrus to Paramount Joe in the box office. That framed signed picture was taken down. They're going to store it. It's not like they're going to throw it away, but It was taken down. When employees showed up the next morning, every single headshot was knocked to the floor. Every single framed 8x10 photograph was on the floor. Some of them were broken. Some of them, the glass had shattered when it hit the ground. And witnesses said it looked like someone just walked along the wall with their arm and just haphazardly knocked them all off. But they were all smashed on the ground. Some of them had broken glass. Some of them were just down there. And the executive director's like, okay, well, that's weird, right? Maybe there's a rational explanation for this. Or maybe we took down the wrong wrong Billy Ray Cyrus thing. I guess the women get to keep theirs and Paramount Joe gets to keep his. And they ended up having this place called the Marquee Room. And they put the headshot for Paramount Joe. They hung it up in the Marquee Room. And eventually that room became known as Paramount Joe's Rising Star Cafe. Years later, Billy Ray Cyrus is coming to Kentucky to do a concert at the place where his first music video was filmed. He's coming back to the Paramount Art Theater. And when all of a sudden the sound drops out, the sound cuts out for five seconds... Billy looked around, looked at his tech guys, looked at his bandmates, and then laughed. When the sound came back on, he said, Good to see you too, Joe. Good to see you too. But he only said it
0: once. I <laughs> only said it once. I just
1: thought it sounded better if I said it twice. It's an interesting ghost story. It's a, it's a fun ghost story. Again, I, I, I planned. I remember I go, I'm going to do a fun ghost story. This week, because we've covered so many tragic topics. I did forget that he might have killed himself halfway through it. But it's a fun ghost story. It's a classic ghost story with a a bit of a dark, destructive bent, right? And I think it's fair. Like Pete Orby, he's a big paranormal researcher in the area. He's the guy who organizes the um Port Gamble Ghost Conference. His big thing is ghosts are people too. Which is true, and we lose track of that, especially paranormal researchers constantly are trying to prod ghost you're having a good day right you're a ghost in this place you never wanted to leave it's beautiful you've only seen it get better over the years it went from being a movie theater to now this venue where you have artists of all stripes coming here and everything's going great and then there's a change in leadership and some guy takes down that something cherished that you cherish and then there's a change in leadership and it's a minor thing right having that picture taken down it wasn't going to be junked it was going to be put away but it, that's what it would do to us if everything was going fine and then somebody came in and got rid of something we really, really liked. Even if it was minor, I know that can, that can set me off. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to knock a bunch of stuff on the floor, but I'll be sad. I'll mourn the loss of it, even if it's something insignificant. Because I li- that's something that I like. And the other reason why I want to tell the story is I think we can empathize with Paramount Joe pete orby he is a big paranormal researcher in the area he's the organizer of the port gamble ghost conference his big thing is ghosts are people too and i think we lose sight of that and i think paranormal researchers definitely lose sight of that because they're constantly trying to prod and probe say something speak into this device make this room cold if you're real turn this flashlight on i mean imagine how aggravating that would be if I did that to you. If I showed up at your house and I was like turn this flashlight on. I want to keep yelling until the light bulb goes on and off. And you're like I can't turn on the flashlight. It's super easy for me to do that as a human and you're handing me a flashlight, but I don't want to because you're yelling at me. And I think, you know, Paramount Joe, this is a place he wanted to spend the rest of his life and his his afterlife. But I think he was kind of treated as a ghost he was kind of true oh it's spooky cold spot and that's what he is but i mean he wasn't being treated as a human but billy ray did treat him as a human treated him like he was a member of his crew treated him like he was a traveling buddy cracking jokes and asking for advice and laughing and stuff like that and just being there for paramount joe in the moment and i think that's super important i think that's something that most people neglect to do if it's a ghost girl with bloody eye sockets hiding underneath your couch yes you can scream and run and be scared because she's being scary but if it's just a ghost that is not trying to be terrifying right not doing horrific things we should respect them as a ghost and that's what billy ray did and that's why i think he knocked down all the other pictures. The one reminder that the one reminder he had that he wasn't just a ghost, which he is a ghost but he's still a person. He still has value. The one person who really acknowledged that that memory was going to be taken away. And that's why he knocked all that other stuff down. It wasn't super destructive. I mean, he broke some glass but he could have done far worse. And I think it's interesting too because looking a little bit more into the story, I came across the account Of a guy named Tyson Compton. He's the one who really talks a lot. He used to be the marketing director for the Paramount Theater. And one of the things he used to market the theater was this story of Paramount Joe. He really leaned into the paranormal with this. He goes back in 2004. I was giving a tour uh, to some high school students, local high school students. I was giving them a tour of the theater and I was talking to them about Paramount Joe And he's done a lot of these tours and he's talked about Paramount Joe a lot and as he was doing the tour, I realized
0: that I always talked about Joe but I never talked to Joe.
1: He had that realization. He was talking about it as if it was an exhibit at a museum without thoughts or feelings. It's just a pile of dinosaur bones or a or a stuffed bird, or like some bricks taken from ancient Mesopotamia, and this little plaque, and you're just talking about talking about them rather than talking to them, as you would a human. And he said, he called out, these students were around him, and he called out, Joe, are you here? Is it okay that I tell your story? And he said he heard a chair squeak. And he thought, well, you know, maybe that was Joe giving me a sign. Maybe that was just the chair squeaking. The next day, Tyson Compton said that he got a phone call at work from a local psychic. He didn't know her. She didn't know him. She goes, Miss is really weird, but I've been told to contact you. I looked your phone number up in the phone book. It's Paramount Theater, right? He's like, yeah. She goes, I've been told to contact you. Have you lost anybody lately? Anyone close to you? Has anyone died? And he's like,
0: no, not that I know of. Uh, No. And she goes, oh, okay. And
1: there's a bit of a pause, and she goes, listen, I, I, this is weird. Even for me, she goes, I got a message from the other side for you. She
0: said, quote, I'm supposed to tell you that Joe said he is here. So that, I mean, again, like, f- talking to Joe as a
1: human opened up that communication between Joe, Paramount Joe, and Tyson. And I think that's super important. I spent all this time talking about Joe, and I never, never talked to him. And that's something we should look for in the paranormal, is remembering the human. And I think that's a great lesson. And a hopeful lesson. A non-monkey torture. A non Horrific, death, scab-eating, blister buddies. What else have we talked about in the past two weeks? Oh, being swallowed whole by the Moon Man? It's been a crazy two weeks. I wanted to do something a little more upbeat, even though I keep reminding you of all that stuff. You're like, what are you reminding me? <laughs> Anyways, I think it's a great ghost story. and It's a ghost story that shows the potential that humans can have with the world of the paranormal. Most ghosts were us. Some are demons, some are corrupted. But most of them were like us. But we don't treat them like they used to be us. I think even a bunch of teenage girls with a candlestick and a Ouija board late at night, that's, it's disrespectful. Super disrespectful. And I think that's why you get negative entities attached to that. Because a normal human wouldn't be like, ooh, a candle floating in the darkness? I'm going to go over there. No, they just, if they're unfortunate enough to be stuck on Earth, or Paramount Joe's case, he wanted to be here, but if they're unfortunate enough to be stuck on Earth, we should treat them with respect. Because they were people at some point. Maybe if we all had a little bit of Billy Ray Cyrus inside of us, there'd be a lot less achy, breaky hearts out there in this life or the next. Deadrabbar radio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead deadrabbitradio Radio. Dead Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.